Welcome to another episode of Off Air with Carmen. All right, this is going to be a first because, just to give you a little background, I have been in broadcasting for 23 years, but I've always been part of a team. And there's something very different about sitting in a studio with mics in front of you and talking to two other people having conversation. I get asked to public speak a lot and I always decline because I am not a public speaker. (laughs) I think about the Beth Moores and the Christine Canes and the Priscilla Shires and they stand and speak and it's not necessarily a conversation. They, They teach us, they talk to us, they make it sound so personal. Um, But it's not a conversation that they're having with other people on stage. And I feel like that's what I'm about to do. So let me set the scene. I'm home by myself, Pizza Bible Study. He'll be home in just a little bit. We're going to record this podcast tonight. But I was sitting here thinking maybe I could just kind of tell the first part of my story. So I'm sitting at my kitchen table and I am talking to thin air. (laughs) There is no one here. I'm just talking into this mic and I've got to tell you for the first time in 23 years of, of talking to a microphone, it's the first time I've ever talked into a mic and there's not another set of eyeballs. Um, I think about the greats, Paul Harvey, um, Casey Kasem, Delilah, they talk to us all the time and it's so personable and they're talking to us without another human being sitting right there. So I'm going to uh, stretch myself and and try to do this and just talk to you. So the whole reason uh, this came up is because Pete and I are celebrating 30 years. And when I tell you that we are a walking miracle, our marriage is a walking miracle. I mean that with every fiber of my being. It is nothing but the grace and mercy of God that we're still together. And the reason I want to do this is because I want to give people hope and I want them to hang in there. I think in this day and age, we marriages can just be disposable. I heard a song a long time ago that says, uh, I'll say I do until I find someone new. And obviously that was a tongue in cheek um song and wasn't serious but in some ways if you think about it I think that's how we approach marriage and I'm not saying that there aren't biblical grounds for divorce and that some marriages don't work out I'm not suggesting that at all I really just want to stand here and say if there's any way that you can make it work and give it your best shot just do it and and hand your marriage over to the Lord and I did so fighting and screaming uh, that God God prevailed, and I'm so thankful that he saved me from myself. So I talked on the morning show about doing this podcast that I should ask Pete to do it, and I came home that night and asked him, and he agreed. He actually was very sweet about it, and I'd posted a picture of he and I, and I said, I just talked this guy into to doing the podcast with me, and here's, here's the response or one of the comments that I got back. It says, Carmen, this morning you spoke in detail about the early part of your marriage. As a new listener, longtime believer, we just assume that everyone in ministry have these perfect lives and perfect marriages. I can't tell you how much your testimony meant to me. It was just what I needed to hear this morning. God bless you and happy 30th anniversary. And that message right there is exactly why I want to do this. There is this perception that if you're on the radio, if that you're in vocational ministry, that everything is perfect. And I think if if there were a banner over my life, if I had an elevator pitch with someone where I was going from the first to the 10th floor and could tell them one thing, that 
that message would be God uses broken things. He uses broken things and he takes things that are broken and he puts them back together. As a matter of fact, there's a scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 22, and I'll paraphrase, but it basically says, God made my life complete when I placed all my broken pieces before him. He gave me a fresh start. And then it skips down a couple of verses and it says, God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. And I had to do that about 20 years ago. There were a lot of, um, there was a lot of brokenness in my life and um, God reached down and he rescued me. And I'm, I'm going to tell you some about that. But here's where I think I want to start. There was a pastor years ago, and anytime he would stand up to give a sermon, this was the prayer that he would pray. It was very simple, but it was so powerful. He used to pray, Lord, whenever one of your servants stands to speak, speak the loudest and clearest to that servant. Yes, Brian, I still remember that prayer. (laughs) So here's my prayer right now. Lord, whenever one of your servants sits at her kitchen table, decides to tell her story, um, would you speak the loudest and clearest to that servant? Mm. Can't get emotional this this early on in this. Um, So I grew up in Northeast Alabama, and my parents uh, got divorced when I was in elementary school. Actually, I was in kindergarten, kindergarten, first grade. And I lived with my mom. We lived in government-assisted housing. And my dad struggled with alcoholism. My dad was one of the funniest and sweetest guys you would ever meet, but he was just never able to beat the bottle. He um, actually passed away in jail. He had a heart attack, and um, it was in in 94, so it was years and years ago. But there was just a, a lot of brokenness there as far as Um, a relationship with your earthly father. And when my dad died, it wasn't, I wasn't sad, so to speak. I wasn't grieving him because I really did not know him. I mean, he was funny and he was kind. And, but as far as really knowing him, I didn't, I didn't really know my dad. My earliest memories of him was um, coming home drunk at our at our house and my mom scooping up me and my little brother and and just trying to get away from him but I remember the overwhelming feeling that I had at his funeral was just regret and I I just it was sadness that I knew that it would never be um the way that it should be like that there was no hope at that point that I would ever have a relationship with my dad the way God intended And that's a whole other story for another time where God has totally redeemed and and healed that with my dad. Um, I won't use it in this podcast, but oh my goodness, it is so, so powerful. And I I don't know, maybe I need to make a podcast out of that at some point. But I grew up with a single mom and a younger brother. And I mentioned a couple of minutes ago that we lived in government housing and my mom uh, was a single mom who worked two jobs to keep macaroni and cheese on the table. Um, We were on food stamps, and it was just, we were, um, we struggled. And I think that's why I have so much um, respect and just so much love and admiration for single moms, because I saw my mom do it day in and day out, and she just made it work for us. And growing up through elementary, junior high school, um, I was a, a good student. I made good grades. I was always 
A's and B's and I was very involved even in high school with student you know student government SGA was had lots of, of great friends and really felt like I was you know pretty well adjusted I had grown up very um, fast for my age I mean obviously when you're 10 11 years old and you're living in government assisted housing and it's you know your mom's working two jobs and you're leaving the apartment to take the the laundry down to the the laundry you know the laundry room there at the apartment complex with your with your little brother and you're putting the quarters in the slot to to do laundry and and you know stick it over in the dryer you just you grow up really fast and then obviously being around my dad and his alcoholism and um some other addictions there and being manic depressive you just are introduced to things at an early age than you probably should be. And I was just always in this space where I was more mature than my age said. I was more worldly or more aware of what my age was. But at the same time, I I didn't know as much as I thought that I did. Um, But I had, you know, good friendships. And it was always interesting when I look back now, I probably didn't feel it at the time. But underneath, there was always... I never felt like I totally measured up if I I felt like this is kind of hard to explain. It's almost like you're invited into a room. So you're in the room. And this is just in my whole life and all the different you know places that I was in. I just it's almost like you're invited into the room, but you're not invited to sit at the table. So I always just felt a little off or a little like I needed to prove myself or I probably tried just a little too hard or I just I I know that I wanted affirmation I wanted um I probably had a, a affirmation tank that needed to be filled I just wanted to know that I was okay and that I was accepted and um you know I lived in a small town in Alabama and my identity if I'm being very honest my identity was being the daughter of the town drunk and I can remember one time I was with my dad and I was 15 years old. I had my permit and I'd been over at my grandparents for the weekend, his 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 side of the family. And he wanted me to take him somewhere. And when he would get to drinking, he would just get I mean, he just would not let up. He would just hammer you, no pun intended, but he would just hammer you and say, take me over here, take me over here, take me over here. And you just do whatever he asked you to do just to make him stop and I can remember at 15 years old, um, actually it might have been 14 because it would have been legal with the permit. Anyway, I don't remember. I did not have my driver's license is, is the point of the story. And I was driving my dad somewhere and we got pulled over. I don't know what I did. I don't know if I didn't have my blinker on or I was driving too fast speeding. We got pulled over. I was scared to death. Police officer leaned into the driver's side window and he saw that it was my dad and he said... <laughs> you know what, I'm not even going to give you a ticket because I'm just so tickled that it's not Ken Brown driving that I'm going to let you go. And I say all that story for two reasons. Number one, my dad had a very friendly relationship with all the police officers in Jacksonville, Alabama, because he was there often and they all loved him like they loved him. And there was even at one point in his life where he he uh, one of his sentences was that he had to check in over the weekend, like he would check in on Friday and then he could check out Monday morning just so he wasn't on the roads on the weekend and he would wash the police cars and all of that. Um, so that's one of the reasons I tell you the story. The second reason is, is I just want to, 
set the stage for what some of my early wounding was that led later for me to make um, just not the best decisions, not the choices that God would have had for me. Um, Also growing up in small town Alabama, I grew up in the Baptist Belt, grew up uh, going to a Southern Baptist church and my Papa Brown, my dad's dad, he was the deacon and all of my grandparents were involved in church. And where I grew up, it was a very legalistic culture. But I don't want to knock on legalism too much. Um, Yes, it definitely participated in me having a very transactional relationship with Jesus and not really having a real relationship with him. Um, So I had to unlearn some things when I got older and realize how much he loves us. And it's about the grace and mercy of God and what he did on the cross and not just, uh, you know, get out of jail free fire insurance, so to speak. Um, But it was that same legalism that if I'm being truly honest, saved my marriage because I grew up knowing uh, that that God did not want divorce. And when it got really low for me and Pete and we separated in 2000, it truly was that teaching that was so ingrained in my DNA that would never allow me to follow those papers. So as much as uh, legalism was not great, it's also the thing that I look at and I'm really, really grateful for. So this transitions into the next part of my story. At 18 years old, I graduated high school, went up the hill from Jacksonville High School to Jacksonville State University. Um, I moved out and moved in with a friend. I got a job at Jacksonville State University, which is where I met Pete, and you're going to hear about that. Um, And I did not like him, by the way. (laughs) Actually, I'll probably start there. I'll start with our interview. But I'd moved out, and I was living with my friend Becky. Pete was my boss. And um, it was the first time I was ever on my own. So all those years of all the rule keeping and being the good girl and doing the right thing, I have this freedom and I've got this wounding that I want attention and not even, I couldn't even name it, but I just, it felt really good to have male attention. So I start doing the things that every single girl does when she lives out on her own. And this part of the story is going to get really, really raw, but this is off air (laughs) and I'm just going to tell it. So one night, Pete was my boss. He was a single guy and there's an age difference between me and Pete too. I was 18 at the time. He was 30 or 31 and I went over to his house with Becky Becky was his secretary, and I was the assistant part-time at the university. He worked for Marriott at the time. And we started playing Uno and shooting tequila. Yes, you're the girl that you hear in the morning that's syndicated in the Southeast on Christian radio station. Yes, at 18 years old, I that's what I did. We went over to Pete's house, and um, we started shooting tequila, playing Uno, and the way that I've told it to my closest friends, and I'm considering you my closest friend right now and just being very vulnerable with you, is that uh, Becky ended up in the bathroom very sick and I ended up somewhere else and um, made a decision that night that really did change the trajectory of my life. So from there on, the next several months, we were dating. We were together all of the, all the time. I went home to Fort Lauderdale to meet his family. 
And I went home and, and met his family at the holidays. Well, we went back for a spring break trip in March. And we're out on the boat and I am sick as a dog. I mean, I am puking over the side of the boat. I have, I've got motion sickness, seasickness. I'm just sick. And I just remember Vic going, you land lover, you land lover, you're from Alabama. Um, got home, long story short, I found out that I was pregnant. And um, that is that was just a, it was a moment in my life. Growing up, I always felt like my testimony, quote unquote, was that I had an alcoholic father. And in that moment, I realized, okay, I'm also the unwed mother. I'm the unwed teenager. And I really had to grieve everything that I thought was because growing up, I was the good girl. I knew better. I had accepted Jesus at 11 years old. I knew the right thing to do. I just had to grieve all of that. I was no longer um, Carmen, quote unquote, the good girl who was going to finish college meet a guy, a Christian guy, get married and have the 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 stereotypical Christian uh, courting and and marriage. And Pete Pete was a believer. He grew up very Catholic, so our faiths were very very different. Um so we found out we were pregnant with Haley and we got married May 26 of 1990. And I'm going to pause right here and wait for Pete to get home, and uh, I'll pick up the rest of the story with him. Hi, babe. Hi, sweetie. <laughs> so you're home from Bible study. <laughs> I am. So um, do you have a good Bible study? I did. It was very good. Yeah. Um, so this morning, we were sitting here talking. Before we're getting ready to record, we were trying to think of a funny story that we could tell. <laughs> Start with a funny story. And interestingly enough, when I was headed to work this morning, I ran over an armadillo going down the street and i mean i shook probably for the first 30 minutes of my commute to work this morning and it was two of them and i was trying to dodge (laughs) one and hit the other one and i think what made this one so you know how things just stay in your mind sure i think what stayed with me first of all it was the i it felt like i was running over a speed bump Mm -hmm. But I heard it. Oh, yeah. It was like a squealing mm-hmm. sound, and it's like, ugh. So all that reminded us of the deer story. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought we would, let's start with the deer okay. story. Do you want me to start it, or do you want to start it from your perspective? Well, let me start it from my perspective, okay. because, all right, Carmen goes to work super early. Like, oh, dark 30 yeah. with the chickens. I mean, forever she's been getting up, going to work, long before I get up, yeah. right? So she gets up. <laughs> One morning, I don't hear, and she's leaving, I, uh, and I'm in bed sleeping. And all of a sudden, I hear this honking on her horn, this <laughs> ah, ah, ah. I'm like, what is going on? And I'm thinking, okay, maybe that'll it. Then I try to go back to sleep. Ah, ah, ah. I said, okay, something's going on, right? So I get up, bleary-eyed, you know, I walk to the garage. The door, the garage the door. door the, the door from the garage, the house from to the garage. House to the garage, yeah. And, and her, her headlights are hitting me right in the <laughs> eyes, right? And so You're in your skivvies. I'm in my skivvies, yep, I'm yeah. in my skivvies. And, and she's just pointing and just frantic inside the car. She says, is there a deer on top of my car? <laughs> I kind of leaned in, I said, what? 
a deer. Is there a deer on top of my car? You got to picture this scene. I am backed out of the garage. Yeah. He's still standing at the door. So we're yelling like the length of the garage. I mean, we're yelling this back and forth to one another. He's not like right there. And I'm like, is there a deer on top of my car? And I'm like pointing to the roof of my car. And you're just standing there, scrunch face, like what you're, you've lost your mind. Right. I don't even know what she's asking me. But so then I said, no, there's no deer. So the next thing out of her mouth, are you sure? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sorry. There's Bambi right there on the top, all splayed on top of your car. And that's what was so funny, because at that point, you'd made your way over. Because uh-huh. I kept saying, there's a deer on top of my car. And you'd made your way over to uh-huh. the side window at this uh-huh. point, And I'm talking through the window. Yeah. I won't roll it down. Right, 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 right. And I'm like, is there a deer on top yeah, of my car? Yeah. And you're like, no. If there were a deer on top of your car, I was six inches from it. <laughs> And that was his favorite line. I go, are you sure? Uh And he was like, and then you got a little frustrated with me, which well deserved. Uh And you're like, Carm, roll down the window. (laughs) So I rolled down the window and I said, I just backed out of the garage and I heard a thump, like a thump, thump, thump. And I'm like, I just felt like I was backing out and there was a deer probably coming through the neighborhood Mm -hmm. and just like bounced on top of my Mm -hmm. car. And I really, in my mind, legit 4.30 in the morning, thought that there was a deer splayed out on the top of my roof. Almost if I looked up, its eyeballs would be looking back at me, you know, with Mm -hmm. all fours going off the top of the roof. Mm -hmm. And I got, he finally talked me into getting out of the car. (laughs) Well, the culprit. Yeah. Well, before that, the reason why you had that in your mind is when you drive to work, you see deer in the neighborhood. Yeah. Deer, alligator. Yeah. yeah. When you're leaving the house at four something in the morning. Yeah. So your imagination oh, runs wild. It does. We could tell story after yeah. oh, story. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, now I'm kind of awake, right? It's, it's, <laughs> it's a couple, five, ten minutes later. I'm kind of awake. So I'm kind of looking around, and I walk to the end of the, the dr- driveway. Where the street is. Uh, the swale there, right down yeah. there where the, uh, the curb is. Mm-hmm. And I see um, a metal uh, coffee mug. Thermos. Thermos. <laughs> So, so what I'd done, I was I was putting my stuff in the car. I'd sat my coffee cup on top of the car, like we all do. Forgot about it. Got in, pulled out of the garage, put it in reverse, and it it had rolled off. So it, right. went, bump, 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 bump. it rolled down the back and yeah, off the back side. Totally. Yeah. So it was totally a thermos. But you slammed I, the brakes on. You you know. I did. I legit, and I have seen deer <laughs> in our neighborhood, like you said, and sure? I was totally, sure. um, totally convinced it was a deer so that's probably one of our funniest story we mm-hmm. have a few others we've got a toilet bowl brush story we won't tell take tonight, the time yes and then we also have the uh, auto reverse cassette oh gosh that, yeah. that one too yeah. so there's some good we'll save those for, a, for what is time. and I, we'll go back to the beginning because you don't know this but you're at bible study mm-hmm. and i actually started recording tonight by myself which was really really weird babe because you've been with me for my entire broadcasting career and I've always been part of teams where I talk to other people. So mm-hmm. I'm literally talking to myself into thin air in the house here tonight while you were gone. And it was just, it was definitely a, a different skill set for me. But I shared a little bit of my story just mm-hmm. growing up, you know, with mom and dad getting right. divorced, broken home, living in my government assisted housing, and just those father wounds that I had sure. early on. Um, and I led them up to the point, and I've already told the story about uh, playing Uno. <laughs> And shooting tequila. Okay. I mean, it's off air, so yeah. we're going to be real with that. Yeah, yeah. But before we, and we're going to pick up the story there, mm-hmm. but before we get there, t- 
talk a little bit about your family life and how you grew up and um, where you grew up. Yeah, I think the biggest difference, and we've talked about this a hundred times in our families is growing up, you know, I grew up in a big family. It was five kids, you know, mom and dad, uh, on the surface, pretty traditional family, you know, middle-class neighborhood down in South Florida. Um, I guess the biggest difference was I didn't realize how much was really wrong with my family at the time because it felt and seemed and kind of functioned normal. Mm -hmm. So, um, And I think that was a big difference between us is I knew my family was mm -hmm. messed up, but you guys had more of the facade. Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't until later. Yeah. I mean, everything manifests itself later on in life. You know, ultimately, my parents got divorced Mm -hmm. um, when I was a young adult. And, um, but yeah, growing up, you know, we did all the traditional things. My parents were super involved in our sports, you know, in our activities growing up. I mean, my mom with the station wagon shuffling five kids from this practice to that event to this to that, you know, volunteering in the concession stand, my dad coaching basketball. So on the surface, you know, I mean, we had a good childhood, mm-hmm. but you know there was a lot missing for sure. Yeah, and and I we've talked about we talked a lot about this podcast and have prayed about it even before mm-hmm. we're recording it now. But so I want to be you want to be super respectful to your parents. Yeah, for They've sure. both passed away. Yeah. Um, but I think it is fair to say, just for purposes of how we grew up, you didn't have necessarily modeled for you mm-hmm. as a man with your dad. Right. Talk about that just a little bit. Yeah, I, um, you know, probably when I'm in my teenage years is when my dad was probably going through one of his worst times. I mean, he was not um, the model father I would have wanted. Um, he was, I guess my parents were heading toward divorce, mm-hmm. but he was out with his friends. You know, he was doing things, you know, a married man, a happily married man should not be doing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we saw. Yeah. And um you know, I just I never remember my dad and I ever having, you know, the talk or any kind of talk, you know, yeah. about, you know, how to treat women and that sort of thing. And we talked a lot about sports and mm-hmm. he gave me a lot of business advice, you know, and that kind of stuff growing up, which was all, you know, good, but we never really talked. I mean, we never, you know, yeah. he never taught me how um, to treat women. And how to how to be married. How to be married, yeah. So it kind of brings us to when we met. So here, and I talked about how we were in uh, Fort Lauderdale. We'd gone to see your family during spring break. And I'm puking over the side mm-hmm. of the boat. And mm-hmm. again, this is a repeat. I just shared a couple of minutes ago, but we're bringing Pete in on this. But I'm sick. Long story short, we find out that I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. At the time, I'm 19. Mm-hmm. You're 31. Mm-hmm. So there's an age difference between us. I'm from a small town in Alabama. You're from South Florida. I mean, two in totally yeah. different cultures. Yeah. I grew up um, very legalistic. That you know, it was a set of do this, don't do that. You grew up very Catholic, mm-hmm. and you know, we want to be careful here as we share our stories. Everyone's experiences are different. Right. But I, w- I think it's fair to say that you grew up Catholic, but you didn't really start a real relationship yeah. with the where I had walked away and what we call backslidden back in, in the mm-hmm. South. You didn't necessarily have a relationship with the Lord, a real right. relationship. Right. Yeah, the, the Catholic faith that I knew growing up was, you know, attending church on Sunday mm-hmm. and, and doing certain things. There, it was never about a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, not until you and I started going to church mm-hmm. um, that wasn't a Baptist church nor a Catholic church right. that we um, 
you know, that I was able to um, understand, really understand the gospel. Yeah, the gospel. No, yeah. no. And I'm putting words in your mouth. No, <laughs> and no. I don't want to do that. I don't okay. want to do that. I mean, you do anyway. So. <laughs> no, I <laughs> you just, no, well I'm just, I'm so happy that you were willing to do this. And I just love you so much. And we've just come so far. And, mm-hmm. you know, whenever you talk about your family, I mean, I just, I love you. And the fact that you didn't have someone model and where mm-hmm. we are now is incredible. Um, but we'll take it back to, so we find out that I'm pregnant. And we decided to get married. Mm-hmm. So we got married May 26th. Let's talk about our wedding day. It really wasn't the best day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hard to, to say now um, because we are so far past it, but it's just not the day that you, you dream of. I'm four months pregnant. And we actually ended up having two different receptions because again, I'm from Alabama where you grow up, especially where my dad, alcohol was just not a part of the scene. Mm-hmm. You grew up from South Florida. How would you describe that? Um, drinking was a significant part of, you know, whatever we did socially. Yeah. It was, you know, I won't say it was the center of it, but it certainly was significant. A big part. Yeah. And so this is not a story we love to tell, but again, it's redeemed. But on our wedding, like we had two different receptions. So our first reception is what you call the mint and nuts is what you would have had, <laughs> which is what we would have had in the basement of the Baptist church. Right. We didn't get married at a church. It was like a little outdoor chapel. But we had right after the reception, we had the mints and nuts. And then later that night in one of the condos at this resort, we had the bigger buffet reception. Mm-hmm. And you know, just again, being honest in all of this, um, I left that reception early, went back to my mom's condo that she was staying in, and I essentially spent the night, I essentially slept with my mom on our wedding night. Mm. And it's it's terrible. It uh, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Yeah. Um, It's kind of hard to talk about right now, isn't it? Yeah. We had our honeymoon <laughs> at Disney yeah. with my belly. Yeah. What By the way, that's say? probably a lot of the reason why Haley likes Disney yeah, so much. It could she be. was with <laughs> it could be. It could be. And we had no idea what we were in for. That's right. And we loved each other. I mean, mm-hmm. even though we didn't start it the conventional way where mm-hmm. you're both or the way that God God's best for mm-hmm. us, where we're both in relationship with him, active, healthy relationship with the Lord, you know, praying and seeking that that partner out. Um, even though we didn't do it that way, oh my goodness, I, I think if there's anything that I've learned in the past 30 years, it doesn't matter how you got to the altar, God really can redeem and restore anything. And even though we um, didn't do it, quote unquote, his way, um, we still loved each other yeah. and we had fun. Right. And right. Uh, and I also think we liked each other too. We did. Yeah. We did like each other. I mean, from the beginning, we had a lot of fun together. And I think what happens is you have two broken people come into a marriage that become one and you've got all that yuckiness and that brokenness and we just didn't know we just didn't know what to do with it and so we had Haley move to Mobile Alabama and one of the things that I always wanted to do you know with my dad and and with his addictions I just and I talked about this a little bit earlier but I just always I want. I always wanted to accomplish something. I always wanted to matter. I always wanted to succeed. I didn't want to. I did not. I wanted to do something with my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can remember someone saying early on when they, when they found out I was pregnant, there they said, "Well, there goes your, there goes your college. Now you won't be getting that college degree." 
And that's where you were so wonderful and you always supported me. So we moved to to Mobile, Alabama, and you were working for Marriott there at Mm -hmm. University of South Alabama in the food service. And I had Haley and I enrolled in school. And honestly, babe, those three and a half years were probably some of the best years of our marriage. We were just kind of in a little bit of a rhythm and I went back and finished my degree. I'd, I had started like one semester mm-hmm. out of high school. Right. Finished my degree. Haley turned four. And then that's when we moved from Mobile, Alabama down to Tampa. And we teased that there were skid marks from mm-hmm. me all the way down I-75. But, but backing up, I got to tell yeah. something though. You know, um, I wasn't making great money then. Yeah. And we, you know, we had a child. Yes. It was one income. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a lot of the debt from you know, the hospital and the doctors sure, and all of that it wasn't, too. we weren't covered insurance. And if you remember, mm-hmm. I was pushing hard for a job in North Carolina. Yes. And I didn't get it. Yep, I remember. And then the job opened up in Mobile. Mm-hmm. And the blessing there was that your father's GI bill paid yes. your tuition. And state, and would, yes, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, that would never have happened. It wouldn't have. If we had gone to North Carolina. Yes. So your opportunity to go to school. Was there. And, and I, yeah, I went on my dad's GI Bill. Right. You basically got a free education. Oh, my goodness. I'm so glad you remember yeah. that because that was, again, God's providence. Absolutely. So we moved to Tampa. There were skid marks all the mm-hmm. way down I-75 because Alabama was all that I'd ever known. And you came, this was before you got into real estate, but you were, you, you'd moved down here. You moved ahead of us. I finished school school, and then we came a quarter. We were on the quarter system at South Alabama and we, we came, um, Haley and I came a little bit later, not, I mean like two months later. Which worked out well in a way. It was about six months actually, but it worked out well because my first five or six months on the job, I was working around the clock. So acclimated. Yeah. So it. In a way, it was kind of easier for me, mm-hmm. although I was missing both of you guys badly. Yeah. So we get to Tampa, and um, I think our different backgrounds, the cracks were starting to show, and we you just didn't know it at the time. And I think uh, me growing up in Alabama, having a father who struggled with alcohol, it just, my experience with it, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. You grew up in South Florida with a family where, you know, to consume was very, very normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and for me, this it kind of became the perfect storm. I mean, um, I'm changing careers. I had two jobs, you know, at the time for, for a year and a half. Abby was just born, so we had a newborn baby. Haley was still young. She was six years old. And I was just in go mode. I was in... Um, Put your head down, get up, go to work, do this job, then go do that job. So my focus was not on my family. My focus was providing for my family. Which was your love language. Right. But just, yeah. But I was not focused on you and, and your needs and the girls' needs at that point in time. And I think I think with our marriage, um, just our two different backgrounds and becoming one, bringing it together, the cracks were starting to show and... At some point, the narrative in my head was probably always there. Um, and of course, you didn't know it. I don't think I shared it with you. But the narrative was always, he married me because he had to. Right. He married me because he had to. Right. I learned that later. You did learn that later. And so we're living in Tampa. And this is the crazy thing, is we're, we're 
starting to go to church. Mm-hmm. We're part of a Bible study. Mm-hmm. You're growing in your faith, and it's probably during that time, would you say that you really learned, or you were really beginning to learn what it meant to have a relationship Absolutely. with Jesus? Yeah. And just, you know, being involved with the men in the church, you yeah. know, and hanging out with real guys and, you know, men of faith, I felt like I was moving in a kind of a positive in direction. A good, yeah, yeah, in a good way. And I think that's, that's the reason I love that scripture in Proverbs where it talks about, above all else, guard your heart, mm-hmm. for it affects everything that you do. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that I was guarding my heart in that season. And I think us being in church, and it was great, um, but I think a couple of things were happening with me while you were growing in your faith. And this is how great Satan is. This is how he, you know, here you're going to church thinking it's a good thing in your marriage. And what was happening inside my heart was, um, number one, I think, I didn't know it at the time, I know it now, but I had had a very um, transactional relationship with the Lord that I was gonna accept him as my savior so I wouldn't go to hell. But I didn't have a relate. I didn't have, even though I knew and I grew up in the church and I knew all the right things. It just wasn't. It wasn't grace based. It, you know, I didn't come to the Lord because He loved me and because I loved Him. It was truly to, you know, get into. It was my. I accepted Jesus to go to heaven. And then I think the second thing, because I had grown up in church and definitely knew. The difference between right and wrong i think what was happening in my heart during that time is there was just a highlighter being put over um how it didn't go the way it should have and how it didn't go the way that i that i wanted it mm-hmm. to and i think i was probably feeling a lot of shame a lot of regret and just slurping that narrative up with a spoon that Pete married me because he had to. And I just, I had, I, I was grieving that my life wasn't, didn't go how I thought it was going to yeah. be. And somewhere along the way, I missed that, and I was not affirming you in the way I should have. Um, and I really, because I felt like I was growing in my faith, and I mm-hmm. was understanding what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, I was just missing, you know. And you were a baby Christian at that point, too. And that's where I was so wrong because, in some ways, I'm, in some ways, I'm just being a self, at that point, I'm just being a self righteous Christian. I'm just talking, I'm I'm acting in front of you how, no, this is how you act as a Christian. Mm -hmm. This is what you do. This is, you know, and I was just, honestly, I was a hypocrite. I was a total hypocrite. And I was not, um, I think all of the dysfunction mm-hmm. and all of the hurt, it was just starting to manifest itself. Yeah. But also, too, even though I was growing in my faith, a lot of my deficiencies were still there, though. Yeah. Well, we had lots of deficiencies. So in 1997, I was really at a place in my head and heart that I was like, you know what, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be married anymore. And just that started to, the seeds of that started growing in my heart. And I found out I was pregnant with baby number two, Abby. And so we had Abby. And the next couple of years were really, really tough because that's when you, and again, looking out for us, that's when you transition from corporate America to real estate. And I think 
looking back now, I'm certain I had undiagnosed postpartum mm-hmm. with Abby. Yeah. And because we were being so honest in this podcast, that's also when I started taking Finfin to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And that that messed with my head. Totally messed with my head. So in 2000, we separated for 11 months. And I was ready to be done. Like I was ready to sign sign the papers. And you asked me if we could go to marriage counseling. And babe, and I went kicking and screaming. <laughs> I totally went kicking and screaming. And I, there was a moment that happened in that counseling appointment that honestly I think is what turned me around mm. and marked me. And you know the story I'm going to tell, don't you? I'm eager to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in the counseling appointment and two things happen. Um, the first thing is that once we kind of told our story to the counselor, I was expecting to be quote unquote the bad guy because I was the one wanting the divorce. And I remember the counselor saying, it took both of you to get here. But this is the line that you said to the counselor that changed everything for me. Gotta start crying. I know. You said to the counselor, you said, she loved enough for the first seven years of our marriage. I'll love enough until I can win her back. Yeah. And I also wanted to make sure you knew that that um, now I'm in it by choice. Yeah, and you said that. Yeah, and and that came up in counseling. Maybe maybe when we first got married and and everything that was going on in your mind um, was I married you because I had to. Mm-hmm. Well, at this point, I did not have to stay married to you. Yeah, but it was choosing to. Yeah, and that's what you said. Yeah, you said it may have been because. Yeah, we had to then, but now I choose to. So I said, so what are you going to do about it? <laughs> <laughs> and I can remember going down to the car, and I was so ticked off. And I can remember punching the steering wheel and just going, Lord, you're not giving me an out. And as much as I've talked about, and I've mentioned legalism quite a bit during this episode, but it was it was knowing that the Lord hates divorce that would not allow me to go through with it. And I can remember there's a couple of significant times during that season where um, God spoke to my heart and he said, you've been praying for him all these years. Carmen, don't give up on me now. That was just in my spirit. Don't mm-hmm. give up on me now. Don't give up on me now. And I was, I was so mad because I had already made up my mind, but I just did not feel released from our marriage. And that same night, I went back to where I was living and I had a girlfriend come over and I was in the floor crying. And she came and she knelt down over me. And she said, Lord, whatever's pulling on Carmen's heartstrings, you pull harder. And that prayer has stayed with me. It stayed with me then and it stayed with me all of these years. And I know that you were seeking wise counsel at the time and talking to some guys. And and I remember you telling me during that season that we were apart that you had given your life to Christ. Mm -hmm. Like you were a Christ follower. Um, 
You know, I was leaning in harder than I ever had. I would, you know, part of it was honestly just desperation, you know. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to do everything I could possibly do um, to salvage it, you know, from my side. Yeah. You know, I, I couldn't control the outcome. Mm-hmm. All I could do was the most I could do. Yeah. And um, I'm really glad I did. Mm-hmm. That was. I'm glad I didn't quit. I'm glad I didn't quit either. So that was definitely our low moment. And I'd love to tell you that, you know, we moved back in together and everything was roses (laughs) but it wasn't no and it took a while and i mean even 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 though i was so even though i knew i was you know back to stay and this is what the lord was wanting it was a behavioral decision but not a heart decision and that came later and actually the joy fm in 2004 actually plays a big part in that and again i'll save that story for another podcast and even from my side you know i'm committed to making this work but even when we're back in the house together i had doubts i had second thoughts i mean is this really worth it is it the right thing to do yeah do i want to go through this you know too you know because we had a lot of work to do yeah so as much as i wanted you back in the house and us to work on it Mm mm-hmm I still struggled. Yeah. And we did for several years. Absolutely. Several yeah. years. But at some point, babe, I don't know, we turned the corner and I will say, even in mine and Pete's hardest years and hardest times, we've always, we've always still championed each other. Yeah. You know, we always have had a soft spot yeah. for one another. And I can re- remember reading something Beth Moore wrote years ago. Um, it was one one of her anniversaries with her husband, like a significant. Mm-hmm. And I think the way she said it was, we always just kind of felt sorry for one another <laughs> and wanted to help the other one do better, right. you know? That's and right. um, and the other thing too is yeah. we, we always had like this little bit of a sick sense of humor yes. through it. Oh my gosh, babe. <laughs> I think that is one of the biggest secret sauces to our marriage yeah. is that we're so... Really bad humor. <laughs> really, and not like dark humor, but just like the, the, the source of the hurt and yeah. the, the yeah. marriage. We, the, like say you got in a fight over X, Y, Z. Well, we would go to the grocery store and like bring up that, mm-hmm. make that the butt of the joke, oh, if gosh, that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah. But we would leave counseling appointments that were like brutal. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, I think we laughed harder at the grocery store during that season than we mm-hmm. did everywhere else because we just, I don't know, we just, we've always picked at each other, but mm-hmm. I feel like it takes, if there's a sore spot in the marriage or if you're struggling through something, I feel like when you can make event not not when you're talking about right, it and right. working it out, but after Afterwards, the fact, yeah. for us, I think it's always brought a sense of healing. Yeah, no doubt. Because then it, it takes its power away. Exactly. It's not the big thing in the closet that you can't talk about. Right. It's like, oh no, we talk about that. Oh yeah. So yeah, that's exactly right. Don't you remember one time we were really we were in public just doubled over laughing. I mean, we we had left a counseling appointment thinking we don't know if this thing's going to work, and we're mm-hmm. laughing our heads off. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there were there were the specifics of those I don't recall. Yeah, I just remember there were many of those that yeah, we there were. just found something funny about. Yes, something that was so you know serious. Yeah, and I think, and we can start wrapping this up. But mm-hmm. I think for me personally, the things that I've learned the last thirty years is that number one, your spouse cannot fill the hole that only Jesus can fill. And I put that pressure on you to be my everything 
a lot of years and that wasn't fair to you i also always beat my chest that you know i had a stronger faith well baloney Mm -hmm. i did not i was not the praying wife that i should have been to in with the sincerity and and humility that i should have had Mm -hmm. um so i've learned that if you want to show jesus to your husband or to your spouse, then you best ought to act like him. Mm-hmm. And I didn't for many years, and I've apologized for that. Yeah. So many times. Yeah. You still forgive me. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, and for me, I, I learned, you know, how to be a husband. Yeah. I didn't, again, going back, that wasn't modeled for me. I never, mm-hmm. you know, learned it from my father. You know, anything I learned about women, I learned in the locker room and from guys, you know, guy talk. And there was nothing healthy about that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had to learn how to be a husband, how to treat a woman, you know, with two daughters. I've learned way more about women than I ever would. (laughs) God has a good sense of humor, doesn't he? No doubt. No doubt. But I have learned a lot. and, and, And I have a tremendous amount of love and respect for the women in my life. And I also think in marriage too you just have to get brutally honest i think about well i mean let's mention this really quickly i mean we we love our girls so much and having them home with us they're seven years apart but having them home with us you know has brought us so much joy you doing basketball with the girls and me doing the girly stuff with them but i can remember even the fall before abby went off to college we had to you know have another conversation then and say okay, it's going to be just the two of us. What's mm-hmm. that going to look like? Well, I mean, even, you know, there was a narrative that Satan was playing in my mind mm-hmm. that um, faded over time, but it was still there, mm-hmm. was that you were going to stay with me till the girls grew up. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and that kind of resurfaced, and I think we had to deal with that. Yep. Um, you know, uh, all of a sudden now Abby's going off to college, so, you know, you can make your getaway. Mm-hmm. Um, which wasn't true. No, but it not was even close. Something that was um, there, there at the very beginning. Yeah, I believed it stronger than I would like to have, and it just never went away completely. Yeah, you know. So we had to uh, work through that. Mm. That first year of Abby being off at school was um, a definite transition year for us. Yeah, but it was good in a good way, in yeah. a great way. Yeah. I think. In some ways, it was kind of fun. I mm-hmm. kind of felt like we were newlyweds yeah. again. We got used to being empty nesters pretty quickly. <laughs> yes, we did. We did, we did. And I guess I just want people to hear that it does get better. Mm-hmm. Like, it does get better. Yeah. The marriage gets better with age. And... Um, that there's always hope. I just want people to know that there's yeah. always hope because ours needed the, what do you call the paddles thing? Paddles? The <laughs> Electric, what do you call yeah, them? The things you put on your chest. To yeah, get your to revive. Like ours needed that. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was yeah. not good. And yeah. we're still standing. And yeah. there's so many other details that we're not even going to take the time yeah. to go into. But when I tell you that our marriage is a miracle, yeah. Is it not? Absolutely, yeah. And it's still not perfect. I no. mean, we fought last week. Um, we did? Uh, yeah, we did. About what? <laughs> uh, something I did wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we did fight last week? I don't remember. Oh, well. Yeah, last that, weekend. Okay. Remember when I, you're going to go off to work like this? Remember? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and that was great, right? Yeah. <laughs> so is there anything else that you want to share? Oh, gosh. That you're thinking of? Mm. 
I'm very proud of us, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if we're supposed to be proud to be married 30 oh, years, but I'm course. very, very proud of us. Uh, knowing that half the marriages in this country end in divorce and, mm-hmm. you know, every marriage goes through stuff. You know, anybody that tells you their marriage has been bliss um, is not telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very proud of us. And, and you know, um, my parents divorcing um, I, gave me a chance to break that cycle break yeah. the chain mm-hmm. not just being married but just in a lot of other ways too mm-hmm. so um i'm happy where we are yeah. you know um and you're such a man of god and you're such a man of integrity and i'm proud of you and just the way you lead our family i just love you like god knew exactly what he was doing mm-hmm. when he gave me you well and i can say the same thing um You've entertained me for 30 years, <laughs> and you probably will for the next 30 years. Um, and, um, you know, you have been um, a champion for me all, all these years, and, and, you know, I'm so proud of what you're doing professionally, mm-hmm. being able to balance, you know, your career and, and being a great mom to our girls. That just means so much to me. Mm. Um, but it was you that that really introduce me to my faith yeah but i I didn't do that yeah but i didn't do eventually i did i didn't Mm -hmm. do it early like i should we we worked it out yeah we did work we worked it out still makes me i love you sweetie i love you happy anniversary happy Happy 30 years yes Uh, we'll do this in another 30 right (laughs) (laughs) i don't know about that there's always hope guys there's always hope babe thanks for being on my podcast and thanks for doing this you're welcome it's been fun That was a little harder than we intended it to be. As a matter of fact, after we recorded that podcast, we just needed to go for a walk. (laughs) And it was actually really good. We just walked and held hands and just walking back down some some hard roads that you you haven't revisited in a long time. But just hand in hand, we just looked at each other and just almost asked forgiveness again, just the, the way we handled things early on. But more than anything, what I really want to do in this whole podcast is just point all of this back to the Lord. I can remember sitting in the counselor's office uh, early on and he looked at us and he said, you know, I want you guys to go back to when you first got married and those feelings that you felt for one another. And we're going to go back and we're going to start there. And I remember thinking, I just felt so discouraged in that moment because I remember thinking, We didn't have those feelings initially that most couples uh, had. And I just think about the scripture, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And I've always thought about that scripture as delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you what your heart desires. But over my 49 years, I've come to look at that passage in a completely different way. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires. He will give you His desires. He will give you the right desires of your heart. And I think uh, in these past 30 years, Pete and I separately, his journey and my journey, but you know, obviously together, um, we have delighted ourselves in the Lord and we've turned our hearts towards Him. And the only reason that we are still standing is because of Jesus. And I just really, really want you to hear that. One last note as I was thinking through um, the podcast and did I say everything that I wanted to say and did I say it the right way and did I 
talk about the rhythms that we have as a married couple. You know, did I talk, did we talk enough good? Did we talk about how we have coffee together every Saturday and Sunday morning, how we go for walks, probably, you know, five nights a week. Just our communication is really, really great. Um, So there's part of me that's like, oh, there's so much good that I want them to hear. But I do hope in all of this, this time that you've spent listening to our story, that we are in such a great place and we are more in love than we've ever been. We're probably one of those couples that we fell in love after we got married. Um, And God is so good. And if you will lean into Him, give Him your desires, give Him your marriage, um, He will bring two very broken people together and make something very, very beautiful. Beautiful.